Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. This week, we continue our Story Time with Jesus series as Pastor Kenny teaches from Luke 18, verses 1 through 8, about praying like it makes a world of difference. All right, beautiful people. If you guys have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, we're going to be looking at one of the stories that Jesus told. This, this week and next week, we're going to finish out our story time with Jesus. And then we're going to start an awesome series called James, about the book of James. Faith for the Average Joe. Anyone ever feel like you're super average spiritually? You're going to love it, because that's, that's, that's how I feel too. Uh, as you guys are turning to Luke chapter 18, a couple questions. First one for the parents. Be honest. How many of you parents have ever had your kids want something and you wanted to say no, but they bugged you so much that you gave in and you said yes? Ever? Never, right? Yeah, it happened at Target. Don't lie. And then all the grandparents are like, rookie, right? It's only going to get worse. How many of you guys, if you're honest, that happened this morning at the donut table? Right? Sometimes, I, I, for a while, I was feeling bad about donuts. You know, the kids all want to run up, and the parents, like, have to give in. And I remember one dad going, like, I can't believe they have donuts here. They're, what are they, they're killing us, right? And then I saw him look around. He grabbed two and put them in his back pocket. And I didn't feel bad anymore. How many of you guys, if you're not a parent, as an adult, have ever used this strategy? Right? You just wear somebody down. Maybe it's your boss or... Or, or somebody in your family, a friend, you just wear them down until they finally say yes. Not because they wanted to say yes, but because they just didn't want to listen to you anymore, right? It's a strategy, and so if, if that's you, you will definitely relate to this story that Jesus tells this morning in Luke 18, 1 through 8. And he says this, Now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who did not fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against, me, against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, in the Greek it means giving me an emotional black eye. That's what that means keeps giving me an emotional black eye, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? It's an awesome story, and, and it, a lot of times when you, a, a parable is a short story that has a bigger meaning, and oftentimes we need to start with trying to understand what the parable is about. On this one, Jesus tells us. It tells us right in the parable that this parable is about the need for steadfastness in and through prayer. It's for not giving up. It's for praying always, and it's for recognizing the need. So there's This parable has three aspects to it, and we're going to look at them today in the form of three questions we might ask ourselves. Three questions. And the first one is this. Do you realize your need for prayer? Do you realize 
your desperate need for prayer. And number two is this. Do you pray always? Or as Corey Ten Boom once asked this question like this, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? And we get that, right? Like your steering wheel is something that you use all the time to get where you're going. Whereas a spare tire is something that you pull out only in the most desperate of circumstances when there's no other option but to use it. Which one is prayer like in your life? And then third, do you ever feel like giving up on prayer? Do you ever feel like giving up on prayer? And I want to just be honest with you as we start our little journey this morning to try to dig into these questions and sift through them. Um, These are incredibly relevant to me. Matter of fact, when I was thinking through these these questions and looking at this story and really thinking of the, the implications and the applications, I realized I need to hear this this morning. And so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that, that we all need to hear this this morning and that God's going to do a radical work in encouraging us to move forward in greater faith in prayer. And so the first one that we're going to look at, and we'll look at all three of these, uh, we'll give a little space to, is the need for prayer. We have a need for prayer. In the story, the widow has a need, and she knows who can help. Amen? This widow has a need, and she knows who can help. And the judge in the story is one who can help, but is not the type of guy who naturally is willing to help. He's able to help, but he's not really the type of guy who's, who's, who's naturally willing to help. But her need is so great that she's relentless in asking. Like I said, the Greek, lest she give me an emotional black eye. Strong language. Now here's something that we need to be honest about as we kick off. There is a huge difference between praying because we ought to and praying because we desperately need to and believe it will work. You guys get that? There's a huge difference. We, we all know that we should pray. Anybody, if I was like, should we pray? Yes or no? We all know yes, right? But do we pray because that's something that we, we ought to do? Or do we pray honestly because it's something that we're desperately in need of and we believe it's going to work? I would suggest, at least for me, I am not good at doing things because I'm, I'm, I ought to. If I don't see the need for it or the purpose or the relevance... It is incredibly hard to motivate me or to, for me to motivate myself to do anything. So I just won't do it. And so if we, if we, if we just pray because we ought to, some of you guys are, are, are good boys and girls and you guys will pray. I get it. But not me. Maybe you could relate to that. R.A. Torrey wrote this book in the early 20th century, like around you know, 1910 or so. Uh, he was a preacher. He took over for uh, D.L. Moody, took over his ministry in Chicago. Um, very powerful ministry. Um, and he was a man of prayer. And he wrote a book called The Power of Prayer and the Prayer of Power. It's kind of become a classic. I've been reading it uh, this week. And man, it's just every chapter has been like, just in, at the same time, convicting me and encouraging me convicting me of how, that I have so much to grow and encouraging me to grow. And he says this, and I related to it, maybe you will too. He said, a considerable portion of the members of our churches today, and remember this 100 years ago, 
but I would suggest it's just as relevant today. A considerable portion of the members of our churches today do not believe in prayer as bringing anything to pass that would not have come to pass even if they had not prayed. In other words, it's this, it's this belief or, this, or, this, or how we wrap our heads around actually praying to where we pray because we ought to, not because we believe it actually makes a difference. We pray even though at the end of, of the day we kind of think like, well, if, if I hadn't prayed or if I prayed it really, it, the same thing would have happened. Where are you at with that? I don't know if you're like me. My head has one answer and my application center, like where I actually live at, has another answer. And sometimes that happens. Maybe God wants to, and at least for me, God wants to connect those into where I start praying desperate prayers to a God who actually can help. And that's kind of what I think this parable teaches us. So the widow prays asking for justice. She cries out, give me justice against my adversary. Now a widow in in that time when Jesus is writing really had no power to help herself. It was just a societal problem that a widow really didn't have the opportunities that other people had. And so they couldn't really go out and and just take care of themselves often. And so they needed help. The community was, was supposed to, in the Jewish community, was supposed to help, right? We're su- pure religion is looking after widows and orphans. Why? Because they can't look after themselves. And so the people justly, if they're doing what's right, should take care of her, but, but, the, but the community's failing her. And so she has to go to this judge and, and plead, give me the help that I need. Give me the help that you're supposed to give me. Because... Somehow the community is failing. The systems are failing. So she cries out, give me justice against my adversary. And she prays for justice. And biblical justice would include both equality and treatment. That's always justice. And also taking care of those who can't take care of themselves. Like widows, like orphans, like the poor, like in our society. Could be uh, the elderly who can't take care of themselves. It could be young kids in foster care system who can't take care of themselves. It could be homeless who can't take care of themselves. It could be, it could be any number of things. But it's having, being, having a just heart is a heart that looks for those in the margins and, and knows like it's the right thing to do to help. Not just it's compassionate, like I would do it above and beyond, but it's just the standard of what it should be. We should be people that do that. So what does it look like to pray prayers of justice? What does it look like to pray prayers of justice? Because that's what this parable is we're, we're seeing here. And I would suggest that there's at least three ways in this parable that we learn how to pray justice prayers. And the first one is this. We, need, we, we pray justice prayers when we run to God for our, for our needs. When we run to God for our needs, those are, those are praying justice prayers. When we turn to God for salvation, that's a justice prayer. He's the justifier of us. We turn to God for salvation is actually a justice prayer. And when we intercede to God for others' salvation, that's a justice prayer. And we're going to see this this morning. You have to kind of un- open up and see a little bit more in the context of this 
that this parable is taught in. But first, uh, the one that's obvious is this. It looks like running to God with our needs, burdens, worries, hurts, and complaints. Here's a, here's a, here's a fact. Everybody gets overwhelmed sometimes. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah. I mean, everybody gets overwhelmed sometimes and has to run somewhere. Every, I mean, you just can't, you just have to do something about it. Everybody gets overwhelmed and has to run. So really, the, the, the crux is, where do you run? Where do you run when you have burdens, when you, when you need help? This widow runs to this judge who can help, even though he, he's not really the type of person who would, he can. She just bugs him until he does. So where do you run? Do you tend to run to self-reliance? I mean, let's be honest. Many of us are better at helping others than we are at letting people help us. We, we're self-reliant. I don't need anybody. When, 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 you, when you get into a bind, do you bend the rules? Is that where you run? Right? Maybe ethically, you, just, you justify certain things because it's got to get done and I don't know how else to do it. And so that's kind of your go-to is you, you, don't, you don't mind bending the rules in certain circumstances. Or maybe you medicate yourself, right? We run to medicating ourselves, to numbing ourselves. That could be obvious substance abuse. It could also be, ever heard of a workaholic, right? There's a reason why it's called that. Because we, we run to our work. We get busy when we, when we, when we need to run. Uh, many of you guys, maybe you, you run to unhealthy relationships. But, but the reality is that there's so many things to run to. Maybe you're like me and you run to the freezer, right? And that haagen jumps out at you and it's very helpful immediately. And so we run there first. Or maybe we withdraw from everything. We withdraw from everything and we just kind of, we, we turn inward. And, and, and that's where we run. But here's the question. Do we run to God in prayer? And here's the thing, it's not saying that we just pray and then we don't do anything else. What it's saying is we don't do anything else and then not pray. There's a difference, right? It's not saying we just pray and then, and then and we don't take any action. It's saying we don't just go take action and then not pray. We pray first. We run to Him as a part of the process and as a huge part of the process. So the widow has a need and she runs to the one person she knows can help. And the judge who is not a good person helps her. And he says, like Jesus often does in his stories, how much more? That's the point of the story. We have an unjust judge who helps her. How much more will a righteous, loving, compassionate father help those who run to him persistently? Interesting this also includes prayers regarding salvation, and this is found in the deeper context. So Jesus tells this story in Luke chapter 18. Right before that, he's in the middle of a conversation. The story is a continuation of a thought. And the thought is found in Luke 17, 20 through 35. It says, Jesus being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. No one will say, see here or there, for you will see the kingdom of God is in your midst. Right? What's Jesus saying? First of all, the context is end times. They're talking about end times. The Pharisees are saying 
end times, when they say the coming of the kingdom, the, the, the Pharisees and, and the Jewish people believe from the Old Testament text that there will be a time when the kingdom would come, when God would come. They thought it meant he was going to restore Israel on earth. Jesus is like, well, it's not going to look like that, like something that you're going to observe. It actually is going to look different. And the answer is in your midst. It's me, right? That's what he's saying. So the context is the end times when God shows up and makes all things new and the kingdom is cunning. Then he told the disciples, the days are coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. That Son of Man is a reference to Daniel about the Messiah. He's talking about something that he he knows that these Pharisees and the disciples probably had already been talking a lot about Daniel in these days. You know, you just get stuck on one thing. They probably heard a sermon on Daniel and it was fresh in their mind, the Son of Man. The coming back, God's going to come, restore Israel. And he's like, okay. Then he told the disciples, the days are coming when you, will, when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you won't see it. They will say to you, see there or see here, don't follow or run after them. Right? It's about running, what you run to. For as the lightning flashes from horizon to horizon and lights up the sky, so the Son of Man will be in this day. But first it is necessary that he suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So the days of the Son of Man are, are the prophecy uh, uh, the, about the Messiah. And there, he says there's going to be a time when you're going to long for the return of this Messiah. Anyone relate to that? Any of you guys... Like you look at Facebook and you get super depressed and you just and you and you turn. What that should do in us, it should stir up a longing for his return. Right? You know what the answer ultimately to our problems is gonna be? When Jesus comes back. And so as as faith people, we long for him to return and make all things new, and we believe that he's going to. And we want him to. And there's this tension where we want him to come back, right? We want him to come back. Why? Because we want all things right. But then in 1 Peter he says, but I'm patient about not coming back because there's still more people to get saved. So see, this is, we're talking about end times and we're talking about salvation here. Jesus is, 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 is doing that. And he says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man when, when, the, when Messiah comes back. People went on eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. It will be the same as it was in the days of Lot. People went on eating, drinking, and buying, selling, planting, building. But on the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be like that on the day the Son of Man is revealed, when Jesus comes back. On that day, a man on the housetop who belong, whose belongings are in the house must not come down to get them, right? You can't take it with you. Likewise, the man who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. You don't know that story. Don't turn back. Unless you want to get stoned. Just kidding. Whoever ch- That's a terrible joke. Don't say that joke. I got to write that in my notes for next service. Whoever whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it, and whoever loses his life will persevere, will will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two will be in one bed, 
one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. In these Old Testament stories, I mean, it's a long passage, but in these Old Testament stories, he gives analogy after analogy of a people who need a Savior, but many people who fail to recognize their need for a Savior. Amen? That's the stories. They're talking about end times. Jesus is going to come back. He's saying, I'm the, I'm the answer. They think the Messiah is coming back. They know that, but they haven't put together that Jesus is the Messiah. But they're saying the same thing. I'm the Messiah. I'm coming back. When I come back, it's going to be like Noah. Noah was building the ark. Nobody believed it. They kept on going about their business like everything was fine until the day came back and then they realized. And then Lot was the same way. And he said, it'll be like that again. So the point is this, and then he tells a story about a widow and a judge and prayer. If we fail to see that justice prayers have to do with salvation, we fail to see that Jesus is in the middle of a conversation about salvation, about people need Jesus, people need salvation. That's part of justice prayers. And so we see, A, when you have needs, practical needs, we run to God. Yes. Also, we need to run to God and remember that we're saved. What does that look like? Read Psalm 51. You'll see David goes through a season in his life where he just train wrecks his life. He falls for all the things that men fall for. Men of power, men of privilege. He he gets power hungry. He gets all kinds of issues. Goes after Bathsheba starts lying, starts using his authority in really ugly ways to protect himself. It gets real bad. And then he starts lying about it. First he starts lying to himself. Then he starts lying to everybody else. And it takes this guy, Nathan, one of the prophets, who comes and tells him a story about a sheep and some shepherds, and he finally gets it. I messed up. How does he respond? With a with justice prayer. He goes to God and he repents. And one of the things he says in Psalm 51 is, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And I would suggest that there's times in our life when we just get off track. All of us. Let's be honest, right? None of us are perfect. We're fellow strugglers here. This is real, right? You might be in one of those places right now. I've found myself in those places so many times, even as the pastor, where you just come in and the, the, the first thing that you need to do is you just need to get right with God. You need to say, God, I've, been, I've been going the wrong direction. I've been running to all the wrong things. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to run to you, God. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. That's a justice prayer. It's healthy. It's healthy. It's emotionally and spiritually healthy to be people who remember our salvation on a regular basis. And that's a justice prayer. prayer. And, then, and then lastly, another justice prayer is to remember those who aren't yet saved. That's God's heart. We see that through the Bible. The end times are coming. Some people are going to be like the days of Noah, where, yeah, Noah gets to get on the boat, but what about all the people who didn't? We should break, our hearts should break for those. There's more room on the ark. You ever wonder how God got all the animals on the ark? I don't know. But God got all the animals on the ark, and if you don't learn anything else, you learn God will make room. (laughs) Right? God has plenty of room. God has plenty of room. And he's patient, not wanting any to perish, 
How did he fit the big giraffe? Maybe he shrunk the giraffe. I don't know. He's God. Right? He could do that. I don't know. But there's plenty of room on the boat. That's the point. And he wants more people on the boat. And he says, why don't you be like the widow who has, who has some needs? You have needs for yourself. Practical needs, everyday needs. Run to him with those needs. You have a need for salvation. And to remember it. To live in it. In view of God's mercy, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. It says in Romans 12. Why? Because we're supposed to remember His mercy and our salvation that's wrapped up in that. And that's supposed to be what motivates and drives us. And we need to do that as a justice prayer. God, you are just, not because you treated me like I, like I deserve, but because you died on the cross. You didn't overlook my sin. You nailed it to the cross. Jesus was not the type of leader that goes, oh, you sinned and I'm compassionate, you're forgiven. That's not the story. The story is, you're a sinner and you you messed up and I'm compassionate, I'll take the pain. I'll take the penalty. It was paid in full. That's justice. It's a justice prayer and God's still patiently desiring for more people to get saved And so these three aspects wrap up in what it looks like to have compassionate justice prayers. R.A. Torrey, in the same book I'm telling you about, said another thing in in this book that that just was profound and it just stirred me. He says this, and and I want you to understand this. R.A. Torrey saw revival. R.A. Torrey was alive when D.L. Moody was going out. Thousands of people were getting saved. It was like an expectation. We're going to have a church meeting. Awesome. People from the community that you wouldn't expect are going to show up, and they're going to give their life to Jesus, and it's going to be real, and I've seen it a million times. That's, he just lived in that. It was like a time when salvation was, was normal. Revival is normal. But he knew something about revival because he saw behind the curtain. He knew that prayer was was also normal in that time. That people believed people were going to get saved, and so they were praying that people would get saved, and then they were get saved, and it was fueling this fire. But I would say that, I think globally, the enemy has taken a fire hose to the church and just cooled that to where we're like, kind of just like, I, I hope no one leaves. I hope nobody around here, I hope we don't lose people, Right? We're not like, like God is out there just changing people's lives and and saving people left and right. So he goes, it's not necessary that the whole church global get to praying to begin with. Not to begin with. He said, great revivals always begin first in the hearts of a few men and women whom God arouses by his spirit to believe in him as a living God, as a God who answers prayers and upon whose heart he lays a burden from which no rest can be found except in, in, in importunate crying unto God. The same as this widow. He recognizes that, that God is looking for a few good soldiers, prayer soldiers, who are going to get on their faces and pray people into the kingdom of God. I want this church to be like that. Can I be honest? Some of us are like that. I'm not one of them. I want all of us to be like. I want to, I want to, I want, I want to join your team. So we have some prayer warriors at this, at this church who pray 
Some of you guys pray fervently. I'm, I'm convicted this week. I want to join your team. I want all of us to join you. I just think, what if we were that church? What if we were, what if our, what if we were called here to Lamida to, to first start praying and then start working? And we got it backwards. Maybe we got it backwards. Maybe we need to pray and act, but we can't act and not pray. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes I do that. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't think Jesus wants us to do that anymore. That's why he's telling us this story. And then the command is to pray always. Here's some things. You can't wear God out with your prayers. You can't wear God out with your prayers. God doesn't get worn out with our prayers. We can pray about anything, can't we? We can pray about anything. Sometimes, you ever ever just like evaluate before you pray and go, I don't know if that's worthy of God's attention. It's all worthy of God's attention. So he says, pray always is the thing. I want you to know your need. And pray always. Anybody going through a hard time? Like, here's what I do normally when I'm going through a hard time and life feels unfair. I I get a bad attitude and I start complaining. Anybody else? You don't have to raise your hand. I know it's true. Right? But here's something that's a fact. You know what it's called when you start getting a bad attitude and complaining around everybody? You're called a complainer or a whiner, right? But you know what it, you know what it's called when you when you get a bad attitude and you're going through hard times and you go to God with those complaints? It's called prayer. It's just called prayer. That's what we that's what we do with those. You know when you, anybody ever have a uh, somebody that's that's difficult to love? Right, on the count of 3, um, I'll say 1 2 3 and then we'll all na- name the person the first person that comes to your head. Just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. But here's the thing. You you know what you know what it's called when you go to others and talk about that hard person? It's called gossip, right? Or malice. You know, what it, you know what it's called when you go to God and you talk about that hard person? It's just called prayer. But that's what he's saying is like everything, everything in your life, all those things, all the real things, the, like, like, oh, I have a bad attitude right now, I don't want to pray. No, that's when you need to pray. Always. It's good, it's bad, it's hard, the good and the bad and the ugly, God can take it. He wants you to go to Him. He wants to take those burdens. And He wants to help you. That's how we deal with it. He's not saying don't deal with it, stuff it. No, don't saying run to other things. He's saying run to Him with it all. He wants to help you. And here's number two, two kind of thought, is that prayer's not a one and done thing. You know? Prayer's not a one and done thing. Prayer is a process. Giving over your burdens to God is a process. I I often think of it like this. You got this huge burden and you're sitting there. Jesus doesn't just go, give me that. And it's gone, right? We want him to do that sometimes. But we're not ready for him to do that oftentimes. But he's a better God than that. You're sitting there with your burden. And all he does is he comes and sits next to you and puts his arm around you. Now you're holding your burden, but he's with you. He's got his arm around you. And then he's like, hey, you want me just to hold that for a minute? You're like, oh, yeah, hold that for a minute. He holds it, and you're like, you want that back, right? It's it's like the weirdest thing where it becomes your comfort blanket. You're not ready to get rid of it. And he just sits there with you patiently, loving you. He'll take it a little bit at a time until you're ready to give it over. Giving over your burdens to God is a process. And prayer is not a one-and-done thing. That's what we learn from this story. He doesn't just, the widow doesn't go to him and go, I give me justice, and he's like... Done. That's not the story. The story is 
he goes to, he goes to, she goes to him, and, and it persistently keeps going to him. Let me ask you this. How many of you guys think when it, when it comes to child rearing, <clears throat> that good parenting is giving your kids whatever they want? That's not good parenting, right? How many of you guys know somebody that everything in their life has always come easy? Right? They've never been challenged. Right? Like Job, that was, that was the deal with Job, right? Satan's like, I want to sift him. He, and God's like, no, he's awesome, right? And, and, and he's like, yeah, he really hasn't gone through anything to say he's awesome, right? Like, Go through some stuff and then tell me you're awesome, right? Like get a few scars, then you're awesome. God's like, give him some scars. Don't kill him, right? Because you've got to go through some stuff. What if prayer's like that? What if you want God to answer prayers immediately, but he's like, no, if I always answered your prayers immediately, you'd be soft. You'd never grow. You wouldn't, it wouldn't shape your character. So here's the thing. Prayer shapes our faith. And then faith shapes our prayers. And you can't disconnect those times. So, so there's this persistency in prayer. He's not saying just pray one time and whatever you pray one time, it's going to get done. So you're, it's done, right? No, sometimes there's a grind in prayer, an intentional grind in prayer. Sometimes God's grinding you in prayer. It's what you need. So it's, it's, those are the parts that we, we can't control, right? Well, what can we control? We can control what he says, that we do go to him, that we recognize that he's able and willing, and that, we, and, that we, and that we go to him persistently, that we don't give up, that we pray always and don't give up. That's what he teaches us in this prayer, and it's not always going to be a one-and-done thing. A loving God wouldn't do that. He teaches us to grind and work it out in prayer. Sometimes it takes a really long time. And so he says, lastly, you gotta, you got to know this. Don't give up. Why do we run to other things and not run to God? On the count of three, we'll say one, two, three, because it's easier. Right? Because it's immediate. Because we don't want to... Like, I mean, how many of you guys are going to make a... a you, you get hungry and you're like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go uh, pull some wheat, grind it. Right? I'm going I'm to make some flour. I'm going to make some dough. Lay it out. And then I'm going to go out and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find an Italian guy and get some pepperonis. And then I'm going to go to my tomato bush. And I'm going to grind my tomatoes. And then I'm going to go milk the cow and turn it and, and figure out how to make cheeses. I don't know how. I'm going to Google it. And then I'm going to bring all those ingredients. I'm going to put it together. And then I'm going to bake it. Right? No, we're like, a lean pocket takes two minutes. <laughs> it's already done. That's how we live, right? We want the immediate. But here's the thing about, about praying. You can run to other things, amen? But faith is realizing that those other things don't work. They don't last. Will there be faith on the earth? Faith is realizing that there's a desperate need for God and there's no other way to get it done. There's a desperate need for God and there's no other way to get it done. And so he says, don't give up. And we'll have the worship team Come back up. And I just ask these couple of questions as we're processing these. Have you ever been tempted to give up on prayer? I have. And it usually happens when we start praying and it, it doesn't happen fast enough or it seems like it's not happening at all. Or even 
the end of the road is it didn't turn out the way that we thought. And there really isn't really, I mean, it's kind of like it's done now. And we go, what happened? And it just whittles at us. And so we go, maybe, maybe prayer doesn't work. Maybe life is teaching me that prayer doesn't work. But faith is teaching me that, no, God has a bigger perspective. And we might not always understand. But God, faith is believing that God does understand and that he's good and that he's able and that when when he's patient it's because there's a purpose for it and when he says yes immediately it's because there's a purpose for it and when when he says uh wait a little while there's a purpose for it and when he when it doesn't ever happen the way that you want it to there's a purpose for it that's will they find faith on the earth so i'm gonna leave us for a time of response, trusting that, that the Holy Spirit has been working through, through Jesus' story time to say whatever you needed to hear. And I want to just offer three ways that you can respond during this time of, of, of worship, at least three ways. You can respond however you want. But it might just be that you just need to spend some time praising Him and just, and just letting your mind get shaped around how good He is and the joy of your salvation. And all that he has done in you and for you and around you. And maybe you just need to spend some time just just letting God stir up your worship. Thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. You can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.